Are you the kind of gal who isn't interested in how things used to be in the hair industry? Who wants to hear from ladies who are paving their own way while making waves? Well then, She Makes Waves is for you. All right, so today we have Michelle Cook on the show. Michelle is a CPA, a modern cloud-based accountant, helping creatives, salons, and small businesses make smart tax and accounting decisions. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's not every day you meet a beauty school graduate turned accountant. And so I feel like you are just like, if this show was looking for like the perfect accountant to talk to, I feel like you're it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one I know. So <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the only one. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey up until becoming an accountant with beauty school sprinkled in there? Yeah. So when I was in high school, my high school had this awesome program where you could pay $500 and it, the, you know, the school paid for all of your beauty school education. And I saw that and jumped on it and was super, super excited about doing hair and just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, I went through, I graduated beauty school and I knew that I wanted to open a salon someday. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old. I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. Let's go get a bachelor's degree and figure out what I need to do to be successful at that. So then I started school and I found some accounting courses and they were the courses that everyone else hated. And they were just like, oh, these are so hard. And I ended up at the end of the course getting the high score on the final and realized I have a natural knack for this. And I just, you know, kind of changed my path at that point and moved into accounting. That's so cool. And then to have it circle back and to have it make sense why you did that first step in your journey is probably pretty cool. It is really cool. I I worked for a CPA firm for a really long time, you know, learning everything and but once I felt like I was really solid, I wanted to move out on my own, you know, kind of still that entrepreneurship mentality that I had from the beginning, you know, wanting to open my own salon, kind of the same thing. I I always knew I wanted to do my own thing. And it just kind of came full circle for me because the first client that I landed after I went out on my own was a salon. And it just clicked with me. Of course it was a salon. I know this business. I totally understand how everything works. I can see the big picture and it all just makes sense. So yeah, it's all coming around. That's awesome. And so with that being said, having known the industry and to understand like the tax laws and all those things, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you think this industry, you know, is yet to take advantage of or struggles with, like with your unique set of just perspectives, what would you say has been like one of the biggest, like, holy shit moments as far as like connecting these two worlds? You know, I really see a lot of hairstylists selling themselves short. A lot of times, you know, we get into a mentality or maybe even your accountant recommended, hey, you know, those tips that you get in cash, don't worry about claiming those on your tax return. You know, try and keep everything as low as possible so that you pay as little tax as possible. And it's really just not good advice. A lot of people do it for a short-term benefit, 
but you're going to grow better as a company as you, you know, function like a company. Um, especially when you think about when would you want your income to look high? Because maybe you want to get a loan to open up a salon. Maybe you want to get a loan for a mortgage on your home. You know, as you are growing and doing big, important things, you want to show that income. You want to claim it and you want to show that you're really doing something that you're serious about it. Yeah. And like, what, where do you think that started? Because like, why do you think making less money is such an attractive thing to people as far as like taxes go? Because it's not to me, it's never been attractive to me. I've always wanted to, to show what I've made and I've always wanted to do it the right way. Cause it's totally my career. It's never been this like side hustle. So wh- where do you think that started from? Because I hear it like now that I've gone gratuity free, I've had people come in and say to me, like, I really don't really get what you're doing. It doesn't seem smart to me that you don't take tips. And I loving being able to have this conversation of, you know, this is all I've ever wanted to be. This wasn't the third choice for me. This wasn't my second career choice. And if it is, that's totally cool if it's your second career. It's just, this was never like something I winged in together. It's been my legitimate focus for 14 years And I think it's empowered me to have these conversations with people. But I do know that there is this stigma. And I think it's being perpetuated by the way that we run our businesses sometimes. But what do you think that's about? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think sometimes people just look at the very short term moment and they look at their tax bill and they go, oh, I don't want to pay that, you know, and guess what? Join the club. No one wants to pay any taxes at all. Um, But it's also part of, you know, just being a member of our society. And, you know, we can look at that tax bill from two perspectives. And one, we can say, oh, how can I get out of it? But, you know, there, you know, there are legal ways to get, you know, great deductions and things. But then, you know, beyond that, you want to keep everything honest and legitimate and so it's, to me, it's a very short term perspective when they're, when people go to not claim something, because maybe you get a little, you know, you save a little bit of money on your taxes, but then, you know, long term, you know, what if you got audited, you know, that's not going to turn out well for you. Um, you know, like I said, what if you want a mortgage or a loan or something later, it's just not going to help. So I think it's just when people focus on the short term and something that's going on right now, that's not as helpful. And, you know, when you own a business, you need to be looking at long-term. Right. And so when you see a number like there, the number that came out December 26th of 2019, that the average hairstylist makes $26,696, what does that tell you from a tax perspective? It tells me that people just aren't claiming what they make because, and you know, unless people are, you know, working part-time or it really is just a side hustle or, you know, something that they're just doing more for a hobby. If you're a full-time, you know, booth renter or a commission worker, you're going to be making more than that. That's what I see when I'm doing returns. Yeah, that's what I think too. I don't, I don't know a single friend of mine in this industry that makes that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really, it's a shame because when people go in and look into what kind of careers they should do, you know, of course, one of the first things you pull up is, you know, what's my earning potential? What can I do? And so it makes it look 
like hairstyling isn't as good of a deal as it really is because it's a great industry to be in. Right. And when you care about the industry and you care about like moving the, the dial forward, then you're not even just claiming it for yourself. You're claiming it for people following you because then they're going to, it's actually going to be a career path that their family members don't go. You want to be a what? Right. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's sad. It's true. So if we were going to dive in a little bit deeper into the, just like setting your business up and obviously this is a whole like session with you that someone could have where you take them through their specific scenario, their specific, you know, business. But if you were going to give a broad kind of, um, just how to like step-by-step, like first you get this, then you get this. Could you run us through just a abbreviated version of that? And then beyond that, people will reach out to you and have a more in-depth conversation. Totally. So I would say if you're, you know, really focused on, owning your business, the first thing you want to do is set up a business entity. I would typically recommend an LLC at first. They're, LLCs are basically the yoga instructor of business entities. They're super flexible. So you can be an LLC first and then change it to be a different kind of entity depending on what your numbers are later. And that's just something you can get into the specifics with your CPA. But you know, for the f- first thing, just set up an LLC. Uh, The next thing you'd want to do is set up a business bank account and credit card. For me, I look at business expenses like glitter. They're, you know, glitter's beautiful. Business expenses are beautiful. You get a tax deduction. They bring things down. But also glitter gets out of control. It can get everywhere and it's a big mess. And once you start trying to clean up, good luck getting every single little piece. So same thing. If you're mixing your business and your personal expenses together, you're going to have a really, really hard time picking out what was business and what was personal later. And then you're going to run the risk of not getting all the deductions that you deserve. And you really can't afford to be paying extra in taxes. So that's why you want to just get your business account set up and run everything through your business bank and credit card account. Um, The next thing is to pay estimated taxes. Um, Generally, you want to pay about 30% of your profits Um, And you'll just go ahead and hold on to that because you only pay it four times a year. Um, Next, I would say get an employer identification number. If you're going to sell retail, get a sales tax ID. And you're going to want to register for a business license in your local area. And if you guys want more information on that, you know, I can talk to you specifically about your business. But those are just kind of the high level quick things. Yeah, and that's totally the steps I took. It, It was just kind of like Google University and my accountant who helped guide me through the exact thing you're saying. And it was, it, it's so helpful to just have a wingman or wingwoman helping just guide you through all of this, because I don't think you need to totally understand it. You just need to do it. Right. And I mean, same thing. I don't need to understand what formula my hairdresser is putting into the bowl before she does my balayage. I just need to know that it looks good at the end of the day. And that's all I really care about. Same thing. Yeah. And I love the glitter analogy because it's like, okay, like it's fun and like you're throwing glitter and it's like, I'm going to buy this for the shop and I'm going to buy this for the shop. And then you're like, oh shit, which was for the salon and which was for my home. And, and it, it, it is just better when they live separate. That's been my huge takeaway too. Yeah. It just, it just makes your life easier. It's people can get so stressed out about their business. And if you just do like that one simple thing, it's going to make your life way less stressful. 
Yeah. And I, I love like everything you're saying about just having these things set up because they almost act like little, just like guideposts for you to be able to like have your business live in this area of your life and allow you to have the space and the time to do things you love. Because I know for myself is a lot of the things you discussed and just the, you know, just the, the taxes and all that stuff until I got the hang of it, it took, it ate into a lot of my life. And it's like, it was important to me that I took care of it all because I definitely wanted the business to be set up right. But at the same time, by having these systems that I've started to implement, it allows me to like, it frees me up in my free time to be able to enjoy my life. And that's what it's all about. You know, accounting really is a small piece of the business, but if you don't take care of it, it becomes a really big piece. Totally. I feel like it's like a beast that grows because it's intimidating to people and totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, a simple thing like, you know, your bookkeeping, I try and tell business owners do it every month because you do it every month and it's, you know, a half hour, maybe an hour, but it's not that much. If you wait until, you know, January 1st, because you're like, oh, dang it, I got to go do my taxes. Then it's just this big thing you've got to do. And it's super overwhelming and it's just can be too much for people. Yeah. And what do you recommend? Like if there were a couple systems that you like, like I use QuickBooks, but, um, is there something that you, you like off the cuff recommend? I love QuickBooks online. It's my favorite. It's so convenient. It downloads all of your bank transactions for you. It has mileage tracking. It, um, you have an app on your phone. So, you know, if you've got a spare five minutes, you know, you can look through what's downloaded through your bank categorize everything and just kind of do it when you have a few minutes instead of having to sit down and, you know, take an hour out of your day. Yeah. Like I love doing yoga with Adrian and I would say I'd put doing yoga with Adrian in the same category as I would put just checking up on my QuickBooks. It feels like (laughs) self-care. Yeah. It's, and you know, when you're, when you're running your own business, you want to know the numbers because it's going to help you keep focused on your goals And, you know, beginning of the year, we all have these big goals. And then, you know, halfway through the year, we forget about them. But if you're keeping track of things on a regular basis, then you're going to achieve those goals because you're thinking about it. It's on your mind. Totally. Yeah. And so I know we talked a little bit before the show, but just like things that people can be doing, like one would be the having, having the QuickBooks once a month, that time built into your schedule to just like do your due diligence The other one that we talked about before the show, which I've been using is Catch, which is being able to use this application that takes the 30% out of all my Square's transaction fees and puts that money into another account and allows it to accrue and accumulate so that when it comes time for my quarterly taxes, I'm able to just pull that money out and it's done the thinking for me. Do you have any other tips for people as far as like, things they can be doing to just kind of dot their I's and cross their T's. Cause I know it used to be like, save your receipts, but now I'm like, it's 2020. I don't care about receipts. I'm on QuickBooks. <laughs> right. I mean, and receipts come in handy if you're one of the unlucky 1% of people that ever get audited, you know, a bank statement isn't going to be sufficient for the IRS. So, so Yeah. So, you know, you can keep them in a folder if that's easy for you. Um, QuickBooks even has where you can take a picture of the receipt and then it's like in your QuickBooks. It's so So, cool. And then it's there for you. It's so nice. I would say I love the idea of that app because it's an oh crap moment (laughs) if you get to the quarterly tax time and you're like, oh, 
yeah, 30%, where did that go? If it's sitting there in your bank account, it's just too easy to forget and accidentally put it somewhere else. So definitely setting it aside is going to make your life so much easier. Yeah, because we've all been there where it gets time for quarterly taxes and you're like, okay, I've, you know, I've done it where I'm doing it in my own, my, my own account, but creating another account just to like sift the money over to that account. But then when I saw this application, I was like, I have to have this because it's like, it takes out like the, the discipline that that's involved in saving for the taxes. And I haven't found a way to do it that, that, that doesn't have discipline other than this app. Yeah. It's kind of like, to me, it's like auto bill pay. If you can put whatever you have on auto bill pay, it's just, it's just one less thing to take care of. And we can all use one less thing to take care of. Yeah. And is there any advantage? So like, for instance, when I go to order my product, I try and do that like every six weeks, kind of similar to what you're saying about order, you know, scheduling that time to look at the QuickBooks. I try to do my orders less frequently to give myself more time and space in my life to do other things I enjoy. But is there like a benefit when it comes to accounting to have fewer transactions in there? Or is that just strictly like a organization of your QuickBooks, like preference wise? I think limiting how many transactions really falls more under budgeting. It really helps if you're not, you know, running to the shop every time you run out of something. If you have a plan and stick to that plan, because every time you walk in that shop or you go to online order, you might see something else that you want, but you don't really need. And so when you can you know, work in a schedule like that where you're limiting yourself to how frequently you're shopping, you're just going to spend less money, which just means more money in your pocket later to spend on things that you're more intentional about that you really want. You know what? I've always wondered about that because you'll hear people as they transition into booth renting or into having their own suite or studio that they're like, oh, look, people will say to someone like, look at your schedule for the week, see what you need and go get it each week. And I've always kind of thought to myself, well, that sounds expensive because if you're buying a tube for each person, like there's really not a method to your madness. You're kind of chasing your tail versus going, okay, I keep six, six ends in, in stock at all times. At about six weeks, I'm down to like one. So I reorder them. It just, there, it gives it a flow and it gives it like an intentionality that like, just like grabbing whatever shit, whenever you need it, just doesn't, just doesn't have that. But I didn't mm-hmm. think about the, like, just like how it's harder to stay on a budget when you're doing that, but it makes so much sense. To me, time's even more valuable than money. And so if you're having to run to the store every week to go get stuff, you know, you're just wasting your time Yeah. and it could be better spent when you're, you know, have a more organized system. And, you know, especially once you have a more regular clientele, you kind of know what you need and you know how frequently people are coming. And of course, you know, you're always open to getting new clients and, you know, everything's not always a hundred percent steady, but you do have a pretty good idea of what you need. And so it's easier to work in a cycle like that. Yeah. And kind of all the more reason to specialize. Like I, I only do natural colors. Like I only stock natural colors. Like if somebody wants pink, I'm actually not even the right fit for them anyway, let alone going to stock it. So it's kind of like, I think just like knowing who you are and like what kind of business you want. And then you can just have the tools and the things that you need to just honor that business. And if it falls outside of that, it's not something you want to get into what's the point in going to buy six pinks? If you're going to have one client you're using pink on, that doesn't make sense financially either. Right. And, you know, it's probably really similar, you know, hair-wise versus accounting. 
we all have to choose a niche because you're not going to be the best at everything. And so you need to figure out what you are the best at and focus on that because then you're going to attract the people that want that service. But when you spread yourself too thin and you're doing everything for everyone, then you're doing things that you're not the best at. And it's not, you're not going to get those return clients. You're not going to get the referrals from that. So when you focus on what you're really good at, then you're just going to attract more of what you're really good at. Yeah. And I think the thing that's hard about focusing is that you end up having to let go of like the security that maybe like the men's haircuts. I always use men's haircuts because not a lot of people like doing them, but it's like, like the thing you let go of the security that and the financial security that that gives you, but then it frees you up for other things, which is so scary, but maybe like having an accountant hold your hand through that would actually be helpful to not feel like so Mm -hmm. alone in it. Cause I know it's, there's, there's things people don't want to do anymore. There are things that they think they could make their career that much more enjoyable, but it's scary. And then it's like, it's nice to know that there's someone who knows the numbers saying like, you got to let go of that if you want the other stuff to come into your life. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think of our accountant right at tax time. And that's really probably a failure on your accountant's part to only show up during tax time. You know, we I reach out to my clients during the year too and check on people and see how things are going. But your accountant can do more for you than just your taxes. Um, You know, quick example, this weekend I had a salon owner in town come over. We went over her 2019 numbers. We looked at, you know, how she could be more profitable, all the different things that she could do to make more money this year. We created a budget for her. So, you know, we're able to do a lot more than taxes and it, you know, it's really not that expensive when you think about what you're getting from it. If you're going to be able to make more money after you have that conversation, then it's probably worth the investment. I 100% agree. And I think too, I think there are accountants out there that are, are really just like they have so many clients that they're not necessarily interested in doing that. I don't even know if it's more like concierge care or if it's just a part of accounting that like, is kind of just with things getting more niche down and everything that, that that's a possibility. But I don't think people are imagining that a lot of people don't have that kind of relationship with their accountant. And so is that something where like people could almost like do like a, like a business audit with you? I don't know if you'd call it that. Yeah. I mean, you kind of could, um, we called it a profit maximization meeting, but yeah, it's, we sat down, we, you know, went through all the numbers, but it wasn't just the numbers because numbers are just the trigger to tell you the story of what's going on in your salon and in your life. And you kind of start to see there's a story behind every number. So how can we make that story better? And we just look at more of the details of what's going on. Yeah, because similarly to what you're saying is, I was talking to my husband about my business last year and how in the last two years, my business has changed a lot. I went from having two employees to just being me. And the amount of time investment in that business is like, it's taking a lot less from me. So he was saying like, well, what's the return on investment for your time? You, you might not be making higher numbers, but you're getting more time back. And so where's the value in that? That's a story behind the numbers. The story behind the numbers is that my business isn't consuming my whole life anymore. And that's a big story to have incorporated with those numbers. Because if you just saw the numbers, you'd be like, no, she kind of fell flat this year. Mm -hmm. But behind that is this whole story and this like this whole life that's starting to be able to be lived. 
So I think that's really cool that you're saying that numbers are just a trigger or a symptom of something else. For me, when I look at, you know, my business or when I'm focusing on the numbers, it's a, it's a short-sighted view, you know, kind of like we were talking earlier about looking at the long term. You know, you can look at a number and go, oh yeah, you know, like that number looks great. You know, I want to have this much dollars and savings and blah, blah, blah. But then if you look at your life and you notice, oh, you know what? That means I don't get to go on a vacation, you know, with my family this year. That means that I don't, you know, have any money in my budget to go out to a restaurant occasionally with my friends or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, you find fun. Oh, I want to have, you know, money to be able to have my, you know, monthly yoga membership. Whatever you like to do, you have to create room in your life and in your budget for the things that you love. I mean, that's why we're, that's why we work. That's why we do all these things is because we're trying to create a life we love. And so that needs to play into when we're thinking about the numbers. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying gets me really excited because I, I love the numbers, but I've always felt like you're right. Like they're numbers and like, they're not emotional. They're just numbers. But then when you talk about the story behind it and like the conversations that can be had around like, you know, like what the, what you want, what your goals are for your business, like there is a completely another element to the story that needs to be incorporated for it to be this like well-rounded holistic look at like what your life and business are. Exactly. I'm fired up. I think I might decide I want to be a hairstylist CPA now. (laughs) I'll show you the way. It's it's just like it to me. It's so exciting because it takes so much of the intimidation out of it, especially that people could be talking to someone like you that gets it. So it's not like this like scary money conversation that I know I know exist. People feel that. I I totally get that. I try to put myself in people's shoes, and for me, I think finding a CPA for other people is like how I feel when I'm looking for a mechanic. I know I need them, but at the end of the day, I have no idea what they did in my car. I don't know if they overcharged me for a part. I don't know if they sold me something I don't need. And I don't even know if they did it right. And so that can make looking for a mechanic and a CPA really scary. You know, do you think there's a lot of people that don't have accountants? That's another thing I want to talk about. You know, it's fine to DIY your taxes if you're not a business owner. You know, if you've just got a W-2 income, you know, you're working... For someone else, it's taxes are pretty simple and you can probably just get on TurboTax and be just fine. I did do that. Yeah. It was still scary. I recommend it. Just hitting buttons and just got her done. But but yeah, like when you have a W-2, it's a little more streamlined. Right. And then once you start getting into owning your own business, then things are more complicated. And then it's more important to have someone who's going to kind of guide you along the way. And especially if you've never done it before, you know, maybe after you've been in business five years or, you know, even more, you're going to feel pretty comfortable. You know what you need to do. But in that meantime, you know, you want someone who's going to be able to be there and help remind you, hey, your estimated taxes are due in a week. Just a reminder, things like that. You know, you want someone who's going to help put you at ease about it. Yeah. And this is a complete side note, but I know when I worked in the salon, there's kind of this kind of like misconception that like the salon owner is like taking all of your money and you don't necessarily understand taxes like you do when you work for yourself. Can you talk about like the difference in like taxes when it comes to being a salon owner versus being independent? Because I think that the fact that the taxes are different for the salon owner and the, you know, the employment based salon 
person. I sometimes think it sends this message that you're getting taken advantage of when really we just, when we're an employee, we don't necessarily understand taxes and how much our, our bosses or the salon owners are paying. Cause I think it's, it's kind of important to know. I think it would shock most employee based hairstylists to know how expensive it is to run a salon. Like it would shock them. It, you know, you've got your rent, you're paying for the product, you're paying for the back bar, you've got reception up front, you've got all these moving pieces and all of those cost money. And the margins for salons can be really thin. You've got to really manage things tightly and make sure that everything's running like a smooth oiled machine if you're going to be making a profit. So yeah, I think I think if uh, an employee was to actually pull out the numbers, they would be shocked by how expensive it is to start a salon and, and maybe even a little humbled and grateful for the job, for the fact that they don't have to bring in their own clients. I mean, just trying to build your own client base is hard enough. And then to have all of those expenses on top of it, it's a big undertaking for sure. Yeah. I, nef- I definitely know that like when I got to, when I had two employees, it gave me such an appreciation for where I came from and for the cost associated with, with salon owners running their businesses, because it's kind of something that you don't know till you know, you know, and it's, it, it was shocking to me as far as like employment taxes and all those things. It made me just look back at different seasons of my life with such an appreciation for, because there's this attitude that salon owners are just like rolling in money and that bothers me. Yeah. And I don't think people realize when they're employees that people who are self-employed actually pay an, an additional tax that employees don't have to pay. So it's even more expensive in taxes to own the business as well. So on top of paying all of just the expenses of running the salon, they're also paying a little bit extra in taxes too. Right. It's just that money's touching your hands more. So you think, this is my feeling on it, is that you're touching a lot more money. You're in contact with more money. So it's just like feels like more money. Whereas I feel like when you're an employee, you kind of get what you get and then they take care of the rest. It's like, it's just like, it's a whole side of the business you never really see, which is a gift. But also if you want to learn it, hard to learn, but also it's like, then you get off on your own and you're like, those people were screwing me. And then tax season comes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I just feel like I would love for people to understand like, you know, like the the disadvantages of being on your own, because it's not all just gumdrops and rainbows because it's not for everyone. So you're saying there's an additional tax that's even being paid. So you got to love doing it. Otherwise there are ways to still be an employee and have it really just honor the kind of life you want. Exactly. And you know, there is a freedom that comes with being an employee because you don't have to take it with you in the same way. You know, once you own a business, it has a piece of your heart with you. And so you're always, you know, you have it in your mind, you know, how can I improve? How can I do better? All these different things. So there is a, you know, a freedom to being an employee that isn't there once you own a salon. And that's why if you're going to open up a salon, you've got to love it. You've got to be passionate about it. You've got to have a real a drive and a fire because then that's what makes it worth it. That's 100% what I think because when people ask me like, well, where do you think the industry is going? I'm like, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are running their own businesses. I think there's going to be a lot of people that think that that's the direction the industry is going, but really they would be better served and happier working for a salon owner. Like, I think I could be a dream employee because I know how much work it is. Like, I just feel like I could just... I think I'd go back to that and be like sitting pretty. I 
I actually love having my own business. It's like, I like the numbers. I like all that. But I don't want people to think that like everyone should do it. And I don't think that employees should feel like they're any lesser of a hairstylist. You know, you're not lesser just because you're an employee. You know, it's just a different kind of lifestyle. And you just have to ask yourself, what kind of lifestyle do I want? What do I want to see from my life? And is what the way that I'm setting myself up serving me for what I want to do with my time? I love that. And so would you say that there isn't this actual difference in income based on being an employee versus being a independent? Because in my experience, I haven't felt like there is this huge discrepancy between the two. They just are different vehicles. But I feel like there's this, this idea in the industry that like, if you want to make money, you got to go off on your own, which I tend to kind of disagree with. But I would love, like just from a number standpoint, I, and also just time, energy, that's all a currency. So do you feel there's much of a difference between the two? It's so hard to answer that because it's just so, so different for everyone. And it really depends on, you know, what your focus is. And I guess it does kind of go back to what do you want to see from your life um, in terms of Mm -hmm. if you really want all of the responsibilities that come with ownership, because that does take additional time. I would say if you're running your salon really well, if it's a well-oiled machine, if you're, you know, maxing out all of your booth space, if you're making sure all of your expenses aren't getting too high, you are going to make some more money, but then you have to say, is that what I want to do with my time to make that extra money? You know, I could do a few more heads of hair every week if I wanted to make some more money too. So you can just kind of decide how you want to do it. Yeah. It's such a nuanced business with so many different components that it is probably very hard to give advice without knowing the specifics of that particular salon business. Well, thank you again, Michelle, for being on. I know that there are people that are listening that are going to want to connect with you. And so Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me on. I know the best place to connect with you is on Instagram at smallbusinesscpa and to send Michelle an Instagram message if you want to move the conversation from there to working with her. She's always available to give some smart tax tips and accounting uh, advice. So thank you for being on, Michelle, and we look forward to having you back. Have a good one, everyone. 